There's a story told. It's a legend. Uh, it may be true. It may not be true. It's, it's about Jesus, and it's not in the Bible. But remember, not everything Jesus did is in the Bible. But a disclaimer up front. This is a legend. It is not a part of the Word of God. And the story is told that one day Jesus was walking along with his disciples. And as he was walking along with them, he turned to his disciples and he said, I want each of you to pick up a rock for me. And so the disciples picked up various different sizes of rock. Uh, Peter picked up a nice little rock that he could carry very comfortably, you know, kind of stick in his pouch that wouldn't weight him down for much. And so they walked and they walked and Jesus was teaching them. And then around lunchtime, he had them be seated and he asked them all to take out their rocks. And Jesus prayed over the rocks and turned them into bread and that was their lunch. Peter kind of looked at his piece of bread and looked at his friend John had gotten, carried a much bigger rock, and John was gracious and shared part of his bread with Peter. So then, after lunch, they continued on their journey, and Jesus turned to his disciples, and he said, I want each of you to pick up a rock and carry it for me. Well, this time, Peter found the largest rock that he could possibly, you know, carry, and he would struggle with all afternoon, and in his mind is, is just going around and around, I can't wait till supper time. <laughs> I'll tell you the rest of the story at the end of the message. But just keep this in mind. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in this series that we've called Course Correction, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that's filled with problems. And he is giving them directions on how to get back on the right road. And so we're going to see Paul's evaluation Follow with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let's pause right there. 1 Corinthians 3 is a chapter of Scripture that there are many different views on by different writers. There are a couple of issues that come up in this chapter that there's great debate over. There are some 
who find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses that we will come to a little bit later, the doctrine of purgatory, which is a total twisting of what is being said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Then we also come face to face here in these first few verses about the question of, are there different types of Christians? Now we know that the whole world is divided into two different types of individuals. There are those who are saved and there are those that are lost. There's no other category. As you come in here this morning, you either know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you do not know him as your Lord and Savior. You have put your faith and trust in Christ, and you're on your way to heaven, or you have not trusted in Christ, and you are headed to an eternity separated from God in a place that the Scriptures refer to as hell. You are either saved or you are lost. But the question comes up, within that category of Christians, are there two different types of Christians? Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say here. He says in verse 1, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. So first of all, there are spiritual Christians. Now, what is a spiritual Christian? A spiritual Christian is one who is maturing in his faith. He is one who is walking in the Spirit. He is one who is filled by the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God. Paul talks about there being spiritual Christians, but he said, I can't address you, those of you in Corinth, as spiritual Christians. And he goes on to say, but as people of the flesh, there are fleshy Christians. Now, in the King James Version of the Bible, they're called, the word used there is carnal. Now, the actual Greek word, which we found before, back in chapter 2, is a word that's used in different ways throughout the Bible. It's referred to as the physical body. It's used to refer to all humanity. It's used to refer to unbelievers. It's re used to refer to the sin nature. It's used to refer to sinful attitudes among believers and immaturity in believers. But there are some who come to this passage and they outright say, some who are very strongly in the reformed mode, and they'll come out and say, there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Now, I know what they're reacting to. They're reacting to the teaching that someone can just walk an aisle or say a prayer and have no life change whatsoever and still go into heaven. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about those who bring forth no fruit whatsoever. But to say that there is no such thing as a fleshy or carnal Christian, I don't know how you can say that in light of exactly what this passage says. Paul says, and notice how he talks about them, but I, brothers... He calls them brothers. If you go back to chapter 1, in verse 21, he'll talk about they believed. 
In chapter 1, verse 2, he'll say they called on the Lord. He will say in this passage at the end of verse 1 that they are in Christ. And those who don't believe that there is a carnal Christian spend paragraphs then trying to explain away all of these words that the Apostle Paul is using here. Just a caution. When you're reading your Bible, please do not take your system of theology and try to force the Bible through it. Let's do it the other way. Let's take what the Bible clearly says and let's force our system of theology through what the Scriptures say. Let that be the grid. Paul says here, I, brothers, could not address you, verse 1, as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. I am addressing you as people are of the flesh. You are brothers, but you are brothers who are acting like those who don't know Christ. You are acting like those who are immature. Now notice he talks about them. He gives us some description of them. He says that they are infants. The end of verse 1, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an infant. There is nothing wrong with being a baby. There's nothing wrong with being a baby, an infant in Christ. All of us, when we came to know Christ as Savior, were infants in Him. Now, what is it that we know about infants? They're just concerned about themselves. They're not concerned about the rest of the world. They want to be fed. They want to be changed. And they want to be fed when they're ready to be fed. They want to be changed as soon as they know they need to be changed. They are self-centered upon, you know, nothing matters except themselves. That's how an infant behaves. Friends, we have people in Christ who are infants. They're self-centered. All they are concerned about is what they want. All they are concerned about is how the world revolves around them. Paul said, I had to treat you as infants. He says in verse 2, I fed you with milk. Now, once again, there's nothing wrong with milk, but as we grow, we don't want just a steady diet of milk. And there comes a point where we have to advance beyond just the milk and move to some more solid food. The writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 5 in verses 12 to 14 writes this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of believers in Corinth who are fleshy, who are infants, who need milk, and he shows it 
about them. He says in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy, right, what marks them? There's jealousy among them. They look at others and they want that which is rightfully someone else's. They want it for themselves. There's jealousy, and he says, and strife. There is fighting going on among them. All of this points to the fact that they are fleshy or carnal Christians. And he is going to find them that way, or at least he expects to find them that way, when he writes the book of 2 Corinthians, one year later, he says to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I might find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. How does Paul expect to find them? Not the way he wants to find them. But he says, I think this is how I'm going to find you. So a year later, after he writes 1 Corinthians to them, he writes to them saying, they're still in this. He expects them to still be in this same condition. Why? Because they're babies. Why? Because they're fleshy and they're carnal and their behavior shows that they are being fleshy or carnal. And that is shown even more by the divisions that are among them. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Aren't you acting just like unbelievers? Paul's evaluation. Next, I want us to see Paul's perspective. Let's look at it in chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. For then, for what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So Paul's perspective. First of all, Paul's perspective is we are servants. What is Paul? What is Apollos? In verse 5, he says, servants through whom you believe. Now, the word used there for servants is the word from which we get our term deacon. The basic meaning of the word is table waiter. So Paul is saying, you are dividing yourselves up among Paul and among Apollos. 
And we also know that there are divisions there of those who are following after Peter, Cephas. You are dividing yourself up among the servants of Christ. You are looking at us in the wrong way. You need to be looking at us as your servants, as your table waiters. It's Paul coming to your table and saying, welcome to dinner tonight. What would you like to drink? Can I get you something to drink? And later coming back, hey, can I take your, your order? That's what you expect a waiter to do, right? And hopefully, we don't divide yourselves up when you go to a restaurant and say, well, and I'm of that servant, and I'm of that servant, and I'm of this guy. I want this guy, that guy. Now, I get it. If you have a really good waiter, what do you want to do? You want that way, you want to come back to that waiter. But in the church, if that waiter's not available, let's say in the restaurant, if that waiter's not available, are you leaving the restaurant? You know, I doubt you pick a restaurant just based on the waiter who is there. My guess is that most of the time, if not all the time, when you pick a restaurant, you pick it based on what? The food. Do they have good food there? Do they have good food at a good price? That's why you want to go there. But those in Corinth, Paul is saying, Apollos and I, we are just the table waiters. Why would you divide yourself up between the two of us? You know, the same thing exists today in the church. We should not, as believers in Christ, divide ourselves up on the servants. I mean, there shouldn't be divisions in the church. Well, I'm of Butch. Oh, I'm of Bruce. And then we have that group, I am of Eric. Boy, those are the, this is the guy I want to follow. We're all but servants. And the same thing needs to be true of us. I don't know who you listen to on the radio. Some of you are, are podcasts and that I'm of this person, I'm of that person, I'm of this person. Know what? We're all just servants of Christ. We're all just table waiters. Paul's perspective is we are servants. Paul's perspective is it is God who gives the growth. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Down in verse 7 at the end of it, only God who gives the growth. It is only God who can work in our lives so that we can grow as Christians. It is only God who can open our eyes so that we can be saved. So let's put the focus where it needs to be, not on the servants, but on God himself. Paul goes on in his perspective, and he says that we are God's field. The end of verse 9 Verse 9 says, for we are God's fellow workers, all of us working together in the same field. You are God's field. And we've seen that imagery that Paul has given there. Someone plants, someone else waters, someone else God may bring along in order to reap the harvest. 
but they're all working together, doing the part that God has called on them to do. But only God can make it grow. And we see that image of the field of God. Paul is now going to shift from the metaphor of the field to the metaphor of the building. He says at the end of verse 9, you are God's field, God's building. God is building a building, a spiritual building. And you need to recognize that. Now what's interesting is the Apostle Paul probably uses this metaphor of the building because it would help them to understand that things are not going to change just overnight. It takes time to build a building. You know, the cathedrals in Europe would oftentimes take four to five centuries to complete. In Paul's day, a temple, which would be a a much more modest type of building, would sometimes take decades to complete. Uh, it's, It's not like today when some buildings can go up quickly. It took a lot of time to build a building. And that's why you would have maybe one person who's working and would lay the foundation, and then another person who would work and do the walls, and then another person who might put the roof on, and someone else who would do the finishing work within it because of the amount of time it would take. And God is reminding those in Corinth that maturity doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come just like in a moment's time. It takes time to grow in the Lord. You are God's building. And now acknowledging that, Paul is going to give them advice. Look at verses 10 through 23. Follow what Paul says here. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy And you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, 
whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. So Paul's advice to them. First of all, build on the right foundation. Build on the right foundation. Paul tells us that he laid a foundation. And then in verse 11 he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Build on the right foundation. What are you building your life upon? What is this church building itself upon? Build on the right foundation. And there's only one foundation that's going to stand the test of time. No other foundation than Jesus Christ. And Paul said, it was my work as an apostle to lay the foundation. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul is writing to uh, the believers in Ephesus, he says to them in verses 19 to 21, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Paul uses the metaphor a little differently when he's writing to Ephesus, but once again, he's showing us what is the key there. The key is Jesus Christ, that he is the foundation. In Ephesus, he uses the, the, the key that Jesus is the cornerstone, that which holds the whole building up. And Paul is saying, the foundation has been laid, it is Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, what are you building your life upon? What's most important to you? What is the foundation of your life? Is it Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him and in him alone? No other foundation is going to stand the test of time. No other foundation is going to last. If you build your life upon anything other than Jesus, you will eventually be disappointed. and You will eventually come into judgment. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? If not, why not do that today? Why not call upon the Lord? For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul's advice is build on the right foundation. Secondly, build with the right materials. Now, Paul basically gives us two different types of building materials. He says this in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. That's one type. Those that are more permanent types of building materials. Those that will stand the test of fire. And then there are building materials of wood, hay, and straw. So when you're building upon that foundation, 
make sure you're using the right type of materials. And why is that so important? Because your work will be examined. Verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. It's referring to the day of Christ and Christ coming back. It's referring to the day when you'll stand before him. It will be revealed by fire and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. See, there's a reality for us as believers that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine whether or not we are saved. At the great white throne judgment, that is the judgment of the lost. Remember, in that judgment, they look into the book of life to see whose name is there or not. And when their names are not found in it, they are cast into the lake of fire. But for believers, we stand before the Bema seat of Christ. You know, think of it as kind of a reward ceremony. That we're all going to be at a reward ceremony and people are going to receive rewards for that which they've done for Christ. Well, some of you will say, you know, like Butch, I kind of like all of that except this thing here that talks about fire. That, that fire, it will be examined by fire. Well, I believe that that fire is going to be through the discerning eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus, or when John sees the glorified Jesus, he describes him as having eyes of fire. And, and I know that uh, I've had at least one member of our church say to me, well, you know what, Butch, I would rather just skip this part of it. If I could in the future, just skip it. I don't like that. Uh, I remember when my uh, son was here as an intern, he was working in the inner city, and he was taking them through a gospel uh, presentation, a gospel study, and as they were going through it, they were talking about rewards, and the people said to him, oh, I don't care about any rewards. He says, well, what do you mean? They said, all I want to do is get through the pearly gates. I don't care if I get any rewards or not. Friends, I want you to know that all of us, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, there's a foundation there that we're building upon. We're building upon it as we serve the Lord. What type of materials are we using? Those that will withstand the fire or those that will be burnt up in the fire. And so those whose work remains, verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. It's, it's a recognition. It's a recompense. You'll receive a reward for that which you've done, serving the Lord with the right attitudes and the right heart. Verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And that's where some have come up with this doctrine of purgatory, and that's not found there at all. It's referring to the works that a believer has done on the day of rewards. And even if our works are burned up, we are still saved as by fire. And friends, 
Our salvation depends not upon what we do, but it depends upon what Christ has done for us. So that is why if we're built on the right foundation, we will be saved. Even if there are not rewards for us, we are still saved. But friends, the rewards that we would get, there are rewards that we're going to cast at the feet of Jesus, our Savior. And what a privilege that will be. Because anything that we do of lasting value is because of what God has done through us, not who we are ourselves or what we have done. And so the Apostle Paul also wants us to remember who we are. Remember who you are. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If you truly know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God came to live and dwell inside of you. Recognize who you are in Christ. Recognize that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Whatever God asks us to do, he gives us the power to do through his Spirit. That is within us. Remember who you are. Are. Jump down to verse 22. He says, or at the end, verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is. God's. Now, get this picture. Remember who you are. Remember that you are a child of the King. Remember that you will reign with Christ, and all things are ours. For those of us who are in Christ, everything is ours because God is over all. God is all in all, and when we reign with Him, all of this is ours as well. Remember who you are. Get your focus in the right place. For when we focus on who God has made us to be, when we focus on the power that God has given to us, when we focus on the commands of God and we are obedient to Him, then we are behaving as spiritual people and not as fleshy people. Remember who you are in Christ. And then the Apostle Paul tells us, do not be deceived. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If any among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he's coming back to that wisdom again, two different types of wisdom, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of Christ. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Set, so let no one boast in men. What are you boasting in? What are you building 
with this culture, with the thoughts of this world, with the perspective of the wisdom of this world, or with the wisdom of God. So Peter couldn't wait till supper time. Had this huge boulder he's been carrying around. And so as they're walking along, they're walking along the Jordan River, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I want you to throw your rocks into the river. And everyone threw their rocks into the river, and there was some grumbling that was taking place among the disciples. And in particular, and this may surprise you, Peter is grumbling just a little bit. And Jesus recognizes this. And he turns to his disciples and he asks them this question. He says to, remember what I asked of you? I asked of you to pick up a stone and carry it for me. So who were you carrying it for? Yourself or for me? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us, that we would focus upon you. And Father, I pray that we might let the Spirit of God guide and direct us and control us. Help us, Father, that we may grow up, that we'll quit being babies and just concerned about ourselves. And instead, we might grow into maturity. Help us that we will not continually just need the milk of your word, but that we will move on and have solid food in our diets so that we might mature. 